This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We know who runs the route, but now it's time. But now it's time to dive into the guys throwing the ball. Welcome to QB Class. Presented by Reception Perception. Here's your host, Zach Miller and Derek Classic. Welcome back, everybody. Week two of the QB show for Reception Perception, QB Class. I'm your host, Zach Miller, here with QB guru, Derek Klassen, back for another episode of Quarterbacks and Reception Perception. How are you doing this morning, Derek? Doing good, man. Uh, it's a, we're recording in the morning now. I got some natural lighting in here. I got a new mic, so I, I sound a little different to the people, hopefully a little bit better to the people. So uh, I'm feeling good, though, feeling good. Yeah, man, you sound great. I love the, love the upgrade on there. Um, but we've got some we've got some QB news coming through. I want to start off the show with it before we get into the profiles. There's a new MVP favorite in the NFL, Derek. I don't know if you know this no. or not. This is worse <laughs> than the last one. But the uh, the heavy favorite is is not in fact Dak Prescott like we both wanted it to be after his um, amazing showing this week. It's actually uh, Brock Purdy after his 300 yard four touchdown game against the Philadelphia Eagles. How do you feel about that, man? I have have two takes on this. The first, I'll start with this game specifically. I don't know how anyone watched this game and thought that that was the game that should make Purdy the MVP. Like, sure, from a narrative perspective, okay, he beats the other guy who was the favorite, but also he shouldn't have been the favorite in the first place. Um, But you watch this game. 75% 75% of his yards came after the catch because Debo Samuel is doing whatever. George Kittle is making crazy plays with the ball. Christian McCaffrey is making plays. Dude, Jawan Jennings, who is like their fifth skill player, made an amazing play with the ball and broke like three tackles to score. So like, 
Purdy, Purdy got the ball out, like credit to him, but this was not the game that felt like to me that should be an MVP performance. And then the other thing, I just don't think he's the MVP to to, to, to begin with, like by, by any stretch. Because like to me, I mean, the MVP award, it, it's annoying that it's kind of boiled down to a quarterback award. But if we're going to make it only a quarterback award, let's at least talk about the other quarterbacks and like what they bring to their team. Purdy is playing really good football, but he's playing with the Monstars, man. He has the best left tackle in football. I'll grant him that the rest of the offensive line is not that good, but he has four all-pro caliber skill players that he's throwing to, and Kyle Shanahan, who's the best offensive mind, cooking it up. Like, when you watch him, does it feel like he's as responsible for the offensive success as Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen? I don't think so. I think Purdy is playing good ball, and he's he's allowed to put up MVP numbers because he has the Monstars. I think you hit it also. You said if you watched the game, I think you're assuming right. everybody on the MVP <laughs> voting watched the game and didn't just look and go, Brock Purdy, 300 yards, four touchdowns? That's an MVP performance against the Eagles. But also the Eagles secondary, not good this year. Just, Trash. It's Darius Slade, a bunch of dudes. <laughs> it's not good. Uh, Kevin Byard is, has been much better against covering tight ends, obviously, on the season for them after the trade, but not good. Uh, I'm I'm with you. I I do question a little bit of like. I personally don't think storylines should go into MVP voting as much, but it's got to be there with Brock Purdy, Mister Irrelevant, 300 yards against the Eagles and four touchdowns. Like that's adding to it, whether or not we want it to, because you know I don't know if there's any merit to having a storyline affect MVP voting, but it certainly does. The, uh, the public opinion is easily swayable by that. It always does. The last quick thing I'll say on that is uh, someone tweeted at me. They were like, yeah, the NFL actually wants Purdy to win the MVP because the idea of like, oh, this undrafted guy, now he's the MVP. Anything can happen. You need to watch every Sunday. Kind of makes sense. It's, extre- it's extremely stupid. I'm with you that like it shouldn't really affect MVP voting because this is about the best player. Um, but when he said that, it kind of made sense to me, even if you know I don't necessarily agree with it. Well, we got some QBs to track here. We Over the week, I, I kind of had an inkling of who one of them was going to be, and, and I was correct, and we'll get to him second. Um, but we're going to start off with Will Levis. Second round pick by by default, close to a first round pick. Um, we haven't, I don't think we've done any charting on him so far of the year, if I remember correctly. So it's the first game charted. Um, he came out, played the uh, Colts, really good game. Uh, ended up, I didn't watch that over the weekend actually, so I ended up watching the film on that game yesterday. It was a little, it was much closer than I, I know it went into, was it OT? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it went into went, OT. Went into OT, went down to the wire. I just, I guess I didn't realize when I was watching the slate on Sunday how close that game was. It didn't feel as exciting as it ended up being. So I'm kind of bummed I missed it. It was a really stupid game, so I don't necessarily blame you for feeling that way in the moment. It was a very dumb game all around. So if you only caught like the very stupid things that were happening, you'd be like, Jesus Christ, why is anyone watching this game? I only caught just like Derrick Henry touchdown, Derrick Henry touchdown, punt block. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, But I, I have some thoughts on here, but I'm excited to see what you saw from Will Levis in your charting. I mean, Levis is, uh, I mean, he's an interesting quarterback. I think he does a handful of things that I really do appreciate. 
Um, he's really tough in the pocket. He's willing to take hits. He's got a little bit of athleticism to him. He can move around when he decides to actually move in the pocket, which is another problem. That's actually kind of why I compared him to Ryan Tannehill is he just doesn't move out of the pocket as much as he probably should, given his athletic profile. Obviously has a really strong arm, sometimes has issues taming it and and, and letting and making it do the thing that he wants it to do. Um, but you can kind of see the bones of, of a good quarterback. It's just that the consistency in basically every way is really, really frustrating with him. Like I think the way that he reads the field, especially in this game, I thought was really annoying when, when they on certain concepts, he's he'll trigger instantly. Like if they're throwing those like 10 yard outs that they put in their offense, dude is ripping it like 2015 Carson Palmer. He is spinning that thing and it's going to get there. He's really, really good at that. Some of their play action stuff over the middle, he, he, he'll really trigger fast. But all of their quick game stuff, he just he's just not there yet. Like it, it just anytime they split the field and ask him to do two different like he just he just doesn't have it. And he'll kind of holster stuff and throws that should be there based off of like zone leverage. He just doesn't want to trigger and then he'll throw like a random check down. There, there, there was a throw in this game where he has one of his slot receivers to his left is running like a little stick route or like a little curl route out of the slot, whatever wide open like like even based on the pre-snap coverage nobody is going to be there in that zone to to catch him levis doesn't throw it two seconds later checks it down to derrick henry and derrick henry drops it because that's what derrick henry does as a pass catcher so it's like what are we like let's 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 streamline let's streamline this a little bit and just make the throws that are there so he can be frustrating in that sense but he's at least fun to watch I'll, i'll give him that yeah i uh I came away with a couple of takes after looking at your charting and and watching the film on it too. Is he he does he locks onto his first read a lot, which you you see from rookie quarterbacks from time to time, and not from I mean, usually you see that from rookie quarterbacks where he locks onto his first read a lot, um, and and it can lead to some bad decisions where he well, kind of one of the positive things I took out of him is he's also super decisive. He said if he decides he's going to throw the ball, he's going to throw it. And he's got the arm to back it up. So sometimes you see him thread a really nice ball to a receiver. And sometimes you see him decide to throw it even though you've got double coverage. And it's it's really not open anymore. Um, and like you said, there's some prom- I felt like there's some promising traits. Um, some things I wanted to highlight from your charting. The, the first real bad glaring part that I saw was, and this is partially on the team as well, but his third and fourth down um success rate was 40 percent on the game four out of ten as a team the titans were kind of iffy on that um but but that seemed like a big issue for me when he started to see some pressure had to make like go through his progressions he seemed to be faltering a little more than when you have like you said if he's if he knows he's throwing it out he's gonna rip that ball through if he knows he's gonna throw it to his first read but when he's got to go through the progressions tell me what you saw from him on those big downs no, you're spot on. Like if he knows where the ball needs to go pre-snap based on, you know, maybe they just simplify the concept or he or he does, you know, pick apart the defense uh, pre-snap, he can rip it and he'll take the hit like he's not. That's not the part of the the pressure and third down stuff that really gets to him. He'll take the hit. It's a matter of, like you said, being able to speed up his process, get through his reads, understand how to move in the pocket um, and, and create like, frankly, he's a good athlete and he has a fantastic arm. So you look at him and be like, he can do the Josh Allen stuff. He can he can do the you know the crazy stuff. But you watch him play, and and this goes back to even like his junior year at Kentucky when he was playing really well. 
he's just not a guy who creates very much. Like he just doesn't have that like second reaction, you know, twitchiness to him to where he's going to go make some weird play and, and find some answer. He's just like, he's either going to make the throw that he wants to make or, you know, he's going to maybe scramble around for a couple of yards, but he's just not a guy who makes very many creative plays outside the pocket. And so when you add that on top of a Titans offensive line, that is not good, especially at the tackle positions right now. Um, and, and the Titans only really having like one trustworthy skill player. It's just a really bad combination of, of, of factors. Like, you know, maybe Levis never gets good at this stuff, but it's also given that he's a rookie and in this situation, pretty tough for him to to fix those things right now. Yeah, there was one play specifically that I think really highlights that. And it was it was the one you you tweeted out where he gets just slammed oh running my God. for the first down <laughs> and and comes up like a nutcracker, like doesn't even move. A hilarious play. But on that play, he he gets out of the pocket. He starts moving towards the line of scrimmage and immediately DeAndre Hopkins opens up behind two linebackers, wide open. Easy has the first down, probably a lot more, maybe a touchdown. But like, but like you said, once he once he gets out of the pocket, he's not showing that like second level where like he's out, I can throw it. It's like he's already decided he's running. He sees the first down, he got it on that play, which it somehow incredibly got it. It was close, but that's the Josh Allen stuff you're talking about, where there he he gets out of the pocket, he scrambles, and he sees and can flick it over the linebacker to get that next level play. Um, only time will tell, you know, if if Levis is going to hit that level. Uh, another thing I wanted to bring up with you is the frustrations from DeAndre Hopkins. Like you said, <laughs> he's the only true skill position player that can really just get open at will on this team, and. There's a couple of times, you know, where where let's we'll leave us having DeAndre Hopkins is the most boon to his development. If this team didn't go out and sign DeAndre Hopkins, he'd be in a Bryce Young situation where there's just no chance of development. But he does have DeAndre Hopkins. And I think that's a big part of it where you're seeing like he's learning to trust his wide receiver one, where there will be plays where he doesn't know where to go with the ball. And he's like, all right, looks right at DeAndre Hopkins. Um, but there were some frustrations there. Ed, I don't know if you saw the same thing I did. No, 100%. Like, uh, to your point, Levis knows where his bread is buttered. He knows who to feed, and he's going to give Hopkins his, his targets. And like I said earlier, on those, like, out routes that they're running with him, perfect. Levis is going to hit it every time. I think he went five for five in this game. Like, he's just money on those. Um, down the field? Levis is a little bit more hit or miss. Like, I know he blew it up in uh, whatever that debut was that he had. Yeah, but he's not actually... Game. Yeah, he's not like actually a consistent deep passer right now. And this was one of those games where he kind of rolled low and, and didn't really hit on many of those. And there was the one, you know, we were, we were texting about this last night, the one where he just fades it like five yards out of bounds on a, on a go ball to DeAndre Hopkins. Doesn't even give him a shot. And it's like, if you're throwing a Hollywood Brown, sure, maybe you don't want to leave it up to chance and, and have it a contested go ball. This is DeAndre Hopkins, man. This is what you paid him for. Give him a shot. Give him a chance. And you could tell Hopkins was uh, not pleased that the ball was out of play. I've never seen a wide receiver turn just after a play, turn to the quarterback, point to where he threw it out of bounds and just go, what the hell? Like, what he was, was like, that? like, hey, <laughs> what happened here? <laughs> He's like, well, I'm, I'm over here. And that's that's just, you know, that's just two people in very different situations in their careers. You know, like Hopkins came here, 
to try and win the championship. Don't know why he ended up in Tennessee. Doesn't make sense to me personally if that's your goal. Um, but I just, I love that contrast where it's like, Will Levis has to be just thanking his stars. He's got DeAndre Hopkins right now. And DeAndre Hopkins is probably like, I really wish I would have gone somewhere else right about now. Um, finishing up on Levis though, uh, I, I do think there are some things that he did good. Obviously you think that too. Um, I know we've talked about multiple times. You think he obviously has the arm talent to be an NFL quarterback. Um, what are some things you're looking for closing off the season on Levis, you know, to, to show there's some development still? I, I mean, one, you know, kind of like I talked about earlier, I would like to see him get a little bit more consistent throwing the one to 10 yard area. So the offense can actually do more of that. Cause right now that it's really dumbed down the way that they do it. And I think that hurts the offense a little bit, but on top of that, just mechanically he, he's got to get better like this was a problem dating back even to college with him both in terms of his footwork and the way that he throws the ball um his footwork he plays very he has like a very tight base the way that he plays and he's kind of on his toes a lot which is weird for a quarterback who's not really sure like he's like six two plus six three so it's not like the bryce situation where he needs to to be on his toes like he that he kind of just does it um and so I would like to see him settle down a little bit, get a little bit firmer, widen out his base, because that really just lets you stay consistent as a thrower from the pocket. And really, it lets you move around a little bit more within the pocket. Like you look at guys like Trevor Lawrence, Justin Herbert, even Tom Brady, they play with that really wide, firm base. And even though they're not insane athletes, well, Herbert, it, Herbert is actually, um, but they're, they're so explosive out of their stance because they're playing in a good athletic position levis just doesn't do that and it can lead to some some bad throws the other thing with levis like i mentioned his throwing motion he has a very low release point which to me almost always means a guy is going to have issues putting touch on the ball just because of like the angle that it comes out it's very hard to like bring the ball over the top and like kind of kind of throw it that way and, and get some touch on it. When you're one of those guys that's almost shot putting it out of your shoulder, like Justin Fields has this problem. Cam had this problem to a degree. Guys that just have that low shot putty release, typically you're going to have issues finding consistency as an accurate thrower, especially when you're trying to add touch. I think that's very clearly an issue with Levis right now. So the footwork, I think maybe he could help, you know, he could clean up by the end of this year. The throwing motion, I think we've seen a lot of evidence most of the time guys are just like that. Yeah, different story there. To to speak to some of your um, thoughts on the, on the deep field, he went one for six on passes further than 20 yards. That is one of the lowest percentages we've tracked so far in a single game. Um, Kenny Pickett was obviously worse because he had a 0%, but he only <laughs> threw three passes, 20 yards, and he's Kenny Pickett. So a whole different right. ball game there. Um, but other than Kenny Pickett's three passes, the only other score that was lower than Will Levis's 20 yards down the field was Joe Burrow in week one, where he went 0 for 4. Which is like a, not a real game. <laughs> yeah, he was he couldn't even plant his back foot. So w one of the worst deep ball performances we've tracked this season, I'm sure there are quarterbacks that have had ones that we haven't tracked. We'll find out near the end of the year, but... Yeah, speaks to it. And he finished with an overall adjusted accuracy of 60%, which is below what we look for in a single game sample size for a quarterback. So a lot left on the field. Hopefully he can clean some of that up on the season. Moving forward, um, 
This is a primetime boy. I knew this one was coming after I watched the game. Uh, Jordan Love taking apart the Kansas City Chiefs. Huge win for the Packers there. Really keeps them in playoff contention. Um, and they kind of have a cakewalk for the rest of their season. They they really, really could walk into a good playoff spot here if they keep rolling here. Um, he finished this game on your tracking with adjusted success rate of 72.1%. That's in the realm of what we look for. It's not a great score, but it's definitely there. Um, and I know there's a lot of buzz after Jordan Love's performance against the Chiefs. So tell me what you saw. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm getting there on Jordan Love. I, I think he's, you could see it in the first two months of the season that he was playing like someone who knew how to play the position, but very clearly needed time to figure out the speed of the NFL, what kind of coverage is he going to get all the time, who on this receiving core he can trust, which took a while because a lot of those guys just weren't playing very well early. And to their credit, most of those young guys on that on that offense have really stepped up, especially like uh, Jaden Reed, I think, has really been fantastic. The tight ends, you know, uh, Musgrave has been really good when he's healthy. Tucker Craft has stepped up. So like the rest of the guys are definitely stepping up around him. But Jordan Love is just my TLDR with Jordan Love is he makes the really, really hard throws. And that's that's what is going to if you can make the really hard throws, we're going to be able to figure out the rest of the stuff. It's kind of like the Matthew Stafford paradigm um, <laughs> to, to a degree where it's like if you could do the insane stuff, we're going to figure it out. Like in this game, Jordan Love was almost 78 percent success rate against man coverage, which most of the time is going to be tight coverage. He was seven of 10 into tight windows. Um, like he's, and he was eight of 11 beyond 15 yards. Like these are all of the big boy NFL. You got to make these to move the ball down the field, uh, in December, in January type of throws. Like he was just absolutely ripping it down the field. Um, and I think you can see like his arm talent is obviously fantastic, but he's just getting a lot more confident being able to stand in the pocket know which of those throws he has a chance on and really just put it where it needs to be. Like he's just a guy who you can so clearly see his growth in terms of pocket management, in terms of decisiveness, in terms of ball placement. Like he's just, he truly has gotten better every week for the past like month and a half, which is just unbelievable. I can't lie to you. I didn't have high expectations for love coming into the season. I was, I was on the hater wagon there. Um, but no, I agree with you. He uh, definitely watching that game and uh, his confidence in this system is just growing. And we're, we're getting to see LaFleur be able to run the offense he wanted to run. And, and Love is doing a fantastic job running it. Um, he had such a great game against the Chiefs, who were really good defense as well. Give him, give him the credit there. He was playing really well, taking what they were giving him and throwing those balls in the tight windows. And, and also, you know, he had some... Plays where he just threw the ball up there and his wide receivers got it. And and sometimes that goes the right way. I saw the same thing with Dak Prescott earlier in the year where some games it just feels like a quarterback can do no wrong, like even when they're just throwing it. And that's kind of what I felt with love on that Chiefs game. Is it was like no matter what he did, 
he couldn't do it wrong. He was putting the ball where his receivers could get it. Christian Watson, even when he's not getting separation, is coming down with those big passes. So I love the development we're seeing from Love. I think he is really turning into a solid quarterback throughout the year. You brought up his man success rate at 77.8%, uh, which is which is a really, really good score for man. Seven out of nine against man coverage. And I it kind of brought up a question when I was looking at this I had for you. And it's one I hear asked with wide receivers all the time. And Matt's give, given plenty of different answers over the year. But when we're tracking wide receivers, man success rate is usually a huge indicator of a wide receiver's performance because it kind of dictates how they do against obviously man coverage and winning in those one-on-one situations. Why is that important for quarterbacks? Because we're seeing a league where teams are playing zone defense more than they ever have before. Most of the time, it's usually an 80-20 split between zone defense to man coverage, sometimes even more than that. Some teams still play up to like 30% man coverage, but it's not all that common. But I still feel like it's a super important indicator of a quarterback skill. So talk me through why it's so important or if you don't think it is. No, I do think it is. It's for a couple of reasons. I would say the first one is on third down, you're going to get a lot more man coverage by every defense. Like it's the big boy down. It's the mano y mano. Everyone's just got to go win and, and the quarterback's got to go make a throw. And I think on those downs, that's really important, especially when you're going to get a lot of like five man pressure type of a type of man coverage or even cover zero if you're playing the New York Giants uh, and week Martindale over there. So I, I think it's really important um, on that sense. The other thing is typically on man coverage, you're going to get tighter windows most of the time. Like obviously, depending on how you want to operate against zone, you can almost like make tight windows just depending on how testy you want to be. But against man, like most of the time, those windows are going to be closed unless you've got Tyree kill doing whatever he does. Uh, most of the time it's just going to be tighter windows. And I think that kind of changes the, it kind of changes the angle and trajectory on a lot of different throws, like against zone, especially if they're just pure spot dropping, it's a lot clearer where and when you can add loft to throws and add arc and like, literally just put a ball over a linebacker like where he's sitting against man when guys are like really running tight and they can threaten to undercut routes and they can threaten to play high like it's just the margin for error is a lot slimmer so you really really have to have a lot more careful ball placement that's why a guy like will levis probably going to struggle with that right now because he just doesn't have that precise ability to put the ball exactly where he needs to to put it he's more of a throw to an area type of type of guy which is really good against zone whereas jordan love i think we're starting to see he does have that ability to really fit the ball and and put the exact amount of arc and the exact amount of touch on it um so i think that stuff is really really important so i think it's definitely important to to be a good man coverage um thrower because again that's that's when the defense is testing you because i'm like you know first down and 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 a lot of like second and, and run type of downs Defenses are going to play zone because ah, you could run, you could pass. If we're in zone, it's a lot easier to, to, to play the run, all that sort of stuff. Um, but when the defense is playing, man, they're testing you. They're like, you got to come beat us. You got to come make a throw. And so when quarterbacks can go out and do it, I think it matters a lot. Yeah, I, I'm in I'm agreement here with you. I, I think a lot of people have brought it up over the years of like, oh, well, like, why does it matter this receiver or this quarterback is so good against man? And I think a lot of times what they don't think about is even when something is zone coverage, when there when there's a cornerback on you in zone coverage, if they're on you, it's it's a lot like man coverage. You know, like you said, it's it's going to be a tight window. The quarterback needs to be able to put it on you. You still need to be able to separate in zone coverage. So 
even though zone like zone is obviously a different type a lot of the skills of being able to beat man coverage or throw into like throw against man coverage translate really well to zone coverage you tend to see those quarterbacks or those receivers that can do it in man coverage they usually don't have an issue doing it in zone other than sometimes you see a quarterback be able to throw someone open a little more in zone coverage like you said will levis can throw it to a spot um i'm sure that's something you see from tua a lot in the dolphins offense where he's very good at throwing wide receivers open or just putting a bunch of air under the ball so tyree kill can run really really fast to go get it um and I think that's something that maybe not a lot of people think about when they're looking at your data, when they're like, oh, this quarterback's really good against man, but why does that even matter if he's only throwing five passes against man? And like you said, they're on big downs, they're on big plays, and, and Jordan Love did a really good job against that. I do think coming out of this game, there was one spot that he didn't look great on that I kind of want to get your insight on. I've obviously started to turn a leaf with Jordan Love, but I still think there are a lot of people that aren't so sure. Um, and they could point to, under pressure, he was 30% success rate, 30.8%, went uh, four for 13, was pressured in a normal amount, about 39.4% pressure rate here. Um, we, we do know Steve Spagnola likes to dial up some, some weird blitzes, definitely not crazy, and they were in a few more passing downs than I thought they'd be going up. So... What did you see out of love under pressure in this game? Yeah, so I actually think even though he only went four of 13, I actually think he played kind of well under pressure because he did the thing that you're supposed to do against the Steve Spagnolo defense, where if they're going to bring pressure, if they're going to bring numbers, throw it over the top, hit them over the top of the head and see if you can get explosive plays. It's gash or be gash football. And that's what Spagnolo's Spagnolo kind of leans into. And if you're a smart team, a smart game planner and a smart quarterback, you're going to lean into the punch and be like, all right, if you're going to try to get us with explosives, we're going to we're going to try to get them back. And, and Love obviously did that. I think he had three explosive plays on his four completions in this game. And then he also had um, two of his touchdowns, one including the, the Christian Watson touchdown that he threw where he's kind of getting pressured. Watson is running the dig from the right side. And even when he's under pressure, he understands that, oh, Watson is cut off from inside leverage. I'm going to put this on his back shoulder. DB has his back to the ball, can't see it. Watson goes up, makes a play like that type of stuff is like, OK, maybe the game plan wasn't there for you to just hit your quick little hots and like be consistent against the blitz. The game plan was to be aggressive against the blitz. And I think he delivered enough to, to make it work. Yeah, um, showing up in the in those big spots was nuts, and and obviously you know like again even though he looked bad against press, this is a really good defense that he did it against. You know, or not press, sorry, pressured. Um, so I think the future is bright with Love. Unfortunately, it kind of infuriates me that the Packers might stumble their way into three straight franchise quarterbacks when no one else in the NFL can seem to do that. Um, but, you know, a good QB is a good QB. And having another one in the NFL right now is all we can ask for, especially with all these injuries. So that'll close out. We'll leave us Jordan Love. Look for the profiles on the site. They'll be either up later today or, well, you'll be hearing this episode on Wednesday. But they'll probably be up on Wednesday, Thursday night. These are going to be really good ones to look for. But we're going to go off script a little bit here. I have something I wanted to run by you because I've been thinking about it all week. Can't get it out of my brain. And... It's a comparison between the Buffalo Bills and the Los Angeles Chargers that I don't think enough people are talking about. And it's that I feel 
like the Bills are leading Josh Allen into the same exact place the Chargers have been leading Justin Herbert into for the last couple of years, where you're starting to see a little bit of frustration in Buffalo, especially at this season. They're definitely not where they want to be. And a lot of the comparisons run up to the same. You have a great quarterback who can clearly carry a team. You have a solid wide receiver one on both sides with Keenan Allen and Stephon Diggs. And then kind of a lack of finding a consistent number two pass catcher for him to run this offense through. I've never been a huge believer in Gabe Davis. I think he's a great deep ball specialist. Very similar to Mike Williams, what you have in the Chargers. And then behind those two, there's not much. We've seen some flashes from Khalil Shakir this year. We've seen some things from Dalton Kincaid, which I think is probably the biggest boon to the Bills right now in that situation. But... I'm not sure either of these coaching staffs have been drafting to set their quarterbacks up for success. And Josh Allen's been able to overcome that and still win games for the Bills. Obviously, their defense was much better in previous years. This year, very banged up. But do you think they're kind of running into the the same situation here? It feels a little bit the same. I, I will say, I think like the Bills definitely have more juice. Like even if even if both of these rosters were healthy, like Diggs is just straight up a more explosive player than anyone the Chargers have. Maybe Kincaid is also kind of in that, but like the Kincaid thing is complicated because they drafted him to do all this, you know, 11 and a half, 12 personnel stuff. It wasn't actually any good. And Kincaid has only really been good when he's the only tight end on the field because Dawson Knox is missing. So it's like, okay, well now what do we do with Dawson Knox? Cause he's still going to be around it. it the, the, the Chargers more to me feel like they just, put the team together poorly like like they just didn't get good players um you know they, they have keenan and and mike williams but like bringing eckler back was kind of weird and a lot of the other guys they have aren't very good quinn johnson hasn't been any good with the bills it's more like they had all these ideas and they just never made sense like they were like oh gabe davis is this specialist you know he can be explosive down the field blah 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 but he's never like actually been as good as i think they thought he was they drafted kincaid to be this 12 personnel offense offense and it's like that's a cool idea this isn't the 2010 Patriots. Like you don't have these kinds of tight ends. This doesn't work if you don't have those two guys. Um, And so like, that was another like weird idea. They keep thinking James Cook is Alvin Kamara for some reason. And then like not giving him touches because they don't actually think he's that good. It's just a bizarre, like they had all these ideas and none of them actually functionally make any sense. And then it all just falls on Josh Allen having to pick up the pieces. Yeah, it keeps disappointing me going every every year. I'm like, all right, the Bills are going to do something here to add somebody to this team for Josh Allen. And they're like, we actually think the guys we have are going to be really good next year in that role. And I'm like, we just, we just saw it. And like you said, the 12 personnel did not work out at the beginning of the year for having that double tight end. And they almost like stumbled their way into a good offense because they lost Dawson Knox. And they're like, oh, shoot, it's actually working better this way. And we'll see what happens when Knox comes back. I'm sure that's coming around the bend. But I just wanted to get out some some questions on there because I worry they're going to be just putting Josh Allen in that same boat that the Chargers have put in Justin Herbert. And and as soon as you start losing games, people are asking the same questions of Josh Allen where they're like, well, maybe he's not that good all this time. He's throwing so many interceptions. And you're like, insane. You can't, you can't flip the switch so quick. To finish off the show, though, you're going to give us a nice a nice fantasy kind of outlook, which from you, pretty rare here. Um, and it's about one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. So, of course, I'm always happy to bring it up. But just want people to know, I didn't put this in the show, Doc. I'm sure I will later down the road. But this is Derek here. Um, so tell me what you want to talk about, Derek. 
yeah, this is a rare kind of fantasy related angle for me. I don't really have all the ins and outs of exactly how this would be put into practical play in terms of fantasy, but the Kyler Murray to Trey McBride thing is extremely, extremely real. Like this is not just the case of a couple of games where he's just kind of put, put some nice stats together. Kyler Murray trusts this dude with his life. Like, on almost everything that they do, like whether it's like a third and short and they're just using him as like the quick option runner or or just like a hitch runner to get open and and Kyler Murray pins it on him. Like there was a touchdown he threw. Okay, well, technically Kyler Murray threw two touchdowns in a row to Trey McBride, one that he caught and they said wasn't a catch, which was ridiculous. And then on the next play, McBride just runs like a little hitch spot route at the front of the goal line. Kyler pins it on him. Dude makes a catch in traffic, that type of stuff. So he's got that. But then there were some like third and longs where they're just putting Trey McBride out as like the solo receiver the way that like Travis Kelsey does. And he's winning on like a dig route. And I was like, oh, they really for sure think that he is their best skill player. And I have to imagine Kyler is being like Drew Petzing, who's the offensive coordinator. We need to get Trey McBride in the best position to win on money downs because that's the guy I trust to go make a play. So I think it's very, very real. I think Kyler trusts him and I think McBride has been playing awesome football for like basically since Kyler got back. Um, so it's just a really cool connection. I'm, I'm glad they have they finally have something because I wasn't all that excited about their receiver room. And I didn't know a whole lot of where Trey McBride was going to go this year. So the fact that he's come alive and, and has you know given Kyler a guy huge huge for this offense yeah you won't find a bigger trey mcbride kyler supporter than me um kind of backing up what you've talked about since week eight he's averaging 8.8 targets a game he's got a ridiculous 28.3 percent target share on this offense that's a like that's like a number one wide receiver type target share very few players get to the 30 to 35 percent you got to be like Devonte adams to see that um he's getting he's averaging 73 yards per game uh and a yardage share on the team, which is, this is absolutely insane. Since week eight, he's averaging 38.9% yardage share on that Holy team. That's smokes. almost 40% of the offensive receiving yards. That's just absolutely nuts to see from a tight end. Uh, I've been a McBride fan. He went to school at Colorado State. Um, I'm from Colorado, so I actually watched him a ton in college. Was really, really excited for him to come in the NFL. And he fell on the classic like tight end where you kind of sit a year and uh, yeah, they've, they've made a commitment to him for sure. Letting go of Zach Ertz and Kyler clearly loves him. We'll have to bring this up another episode because we have to, we have to talk between the two of us of what we think is going on with this Kyler situation here. Cause the Cardinals are obviously going to have to make a big decision at the end of the year. But if, if he does come back, having him as a compliment to uh, Marquise Brown is just gonna save this receiving core if they if they don't pick someone else up in the offseason right i'm i'm saying kyler's playing well little trey mcbride little hollywood brown go draft the marvin harrison i'm just saying it looks pretty good to me <laughs> i'm in on it man i'm excited to bring that i'm excited to turn that stone over in another episode but we're gonna finish off today it's been another great episode of qb class i'm zach this is derek we'll see y'all next week 